If you haven't already, you can open up to Judges chapter 13. Now, um, if you are new or you don't know this, um, we, we feel at Redemption our bread and butter is just going through the Bible book by book, verse by verse, word by word. And so we've chosen to take on the book of Judges. And you might need a little background because um, specifically today, uh, there's some stories. And, and, and one thing I really enjoy actually about going through the book of Judges is if you haven't been raised in the church, a cool thing about the book of Judges is it, it actually shows you some of the stories that you may hear other people talk about, right? So like in Gideon, you heard something about a fleece somewhere and we actually got to read that story, right? So there's these stories. Well, Samson is full of them. Okay, Samson has a bunch of stories that you might have heard murmurs of, but, but it's just full of all these stories. So that's kind of a fun part of it. But let me just give you some background if you don't know. And if you've been coming here every week, then um, this is all going to be old hat to you. But, but here's the deal. We know that at one point in time, God's people were into uh, subjugation. They, they were in slavery in Egypt. God uses a man named Moses. You might have heard his name before to rescue those people out of Egypt. Well, now they need to go somewhere. God uses another man named Joshua to put them into the place they need to go. It's called the promised land. It's this land of Canaan. Well, before that goes on, before that takes place, the people of God are separated into 12 tribes, and they're all, well, 11 of them are given land. The Levites are not given land, but I don't have time to explain that. They're they're broken up into 12 tribes and given land, okay? Now, here's the thing. It's in the promised land, and the book of Joshua ends with the people of God have made it to the promised land. It's a big deal. Unfortunately, what we, we, we find out where judges should pick up from Joshua and only go up we find out in Judges that there are still people lingering in this promised land and Israel has to kick them out. And what we've seen over and over and over is they don't, okay? They, they fail at this. And so we've seen Othniel, and so uh, uh, Gideon, we've seen Deborah, we've seen people that God sends to try to set the record straight. And, and a, a good way that we've kind of encapsulated what we've seen in Judges is something called the cycle of Judges. And here it is. Um, If you you haven't been, this is new to you. Um, What we've seen in the book of Judges over and over and over again is where God has brought peace. He has brought rest. He has brought silence. We, or the people of God in this moment, choose sin. They they, they choose um, something else besides God, and it brings them pain. And because it brings them pain, in the, the form of their pain is this servitude, right? So there's this sin, servitude, all the S's. And so they cry out to God at supplication. They cry out to God, and God sends a judge to rescue them, and then there's peace. And that's been our cycle over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Today is our last cycle, okay? We have two weeks left, today and next week, and and we're going to finish the book of Judges. Now, we're going to start in in, uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read the first verse, and we have to go through four chapters of the Bible today. Some of you ain't even read four chapters of anything, okay? But we're going to read four chapters of the Bible, um, and we could do it, all right? Um, you know, don't trip too much, but we're going to be able to go through this right now. Um, I, I will do my best to paraphrase certain portions of it, but for the most part, we're going to try to read through it, uh, and we're going to see the story of Samson, okay? So um, I'm going to read just the first verse and explain something, why faith came up and only read that one verse. It's in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. This is what it says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So stop. So if you haven't been with us, that statement, can you keep that cycle up there? That statement, the the very first verse, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord has been what has started the cycle every time. If you've been with us and we've seen these cycles, that is what has started every time. 
the first one sin has been, and the people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you notice the second part, the servitude is, and so God put them into subjugation amongst the Ammonites, whoever it is. It doesn't matter. In this case, it's the Philistines. So let me just stop real quick and, and say this. Um, because this is our, our, our second to last week and next week is our last week, uh, um, I want to remind you of something I said in the beginning and haven't revisited that often. And that is this. When we first started, um, I, I shared with you that the last verse in the Bible, the verse that came up, or the last verse in this uh, uh, book, the book of Judges, that faith came up and read, was the idea of all of Judges. It is what unpacks all of Judges. And it's this statement that goes like this. In that day, there was no king in Israel. So no one ruled, no one said, here's how it is, but everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And from day one of the seven weeks, we have been working towards this. We've been seeing concepts of this. This is the direction we've been going. That everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. The difference is, every time we've seen the cycle, it starts with the same wording, just in different order. And it says it in a little bit of a different way, doesn't it? So we've seen the way that people are doing things right in their own eyes is doing evil before the Lord. So, so, so maybe to say it a, a better way is, um, by doing what is right in your own eyes, you are doing what is evil before the Lord. To say, I have the answer, here's what it is, this is what we're working towards, it's, it's, it's misconstrued. Um, uh, Tim Keller has a, a commentary, uh, basically an unpacking of, of the book of Judges. He, he kind of explains the book of Judges, and this is how he, he talks about this statement um, uh, for, for this verse and, and moving on. The phrase, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, has been repeated, has been a repeated refrain in Judges. 2.11, 3.7, uh, 12, 4, 1, 6.1, 10.6, 13.1. You guys have heard it over and over and over again. This is the last time it appears. Although, in fact, there is a phrase which appears twice in double conclusion to the book, which says the same thing in a different way. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The writer is making the point that many of the things that the Israelites did were not evil in their own eyes. In other words, by their perception, most of all of their behavior was perfectly acceptable. They did not go about thinking, I know this is evil, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yet in God's eyes, the behavior was wicked. Do you understand what he's saying? So they're not beating their chest going, oh, I'm going to do what I want. No, 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 no. They're saying, this is what I think is right. We're going to serve this God. And that was right in their own eyes at the same time that is evil before the Lord. So um, I, I want to say two things real quick before we, you know, try to melee four chapters of the Bible. I think this, this um, brings up really two good points to push us uh, to, to end, the kind of last push to end uh, the book of Judges. The first thing is just a cultural evaluation, not as important as the second thing. But I think it's funny, in our culture, um, the way we define sin, if anything, is to go, hey, listen, what works for you is good for you. That's fine. And what works for me is, is, is what works for me. And, and, and that's fine. As long as I don't infringe on what works for you and you don't infringe on what works for me, which ironically enough is a rule in itself. Like who made that rule? There has to be some, right? So, so as long as we don't do that, that's okay. Now, I don't want to get into the, the, the philosophy of, of all that, though I believe it's ultimately flawed. What, what, what I do want to point out, though, is the way we've defined um, morality or lack thereof or, or a push into ethics or um, sin. We'll just use the sin because it's maybe the best word that we can describe. The way we've described sin is sin is something that I can do to myself or maybe I can do to others. And, 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 and when that happens, when you're hurting yourself, we've got to stop it. Or when you're hurting someone else, we've got to stop it. But the Bible puts in front of us right now, no, 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 no. That's not what sin is. That's not where the brokenness comes from. What ultimately needs to be seen is sin is something done not against yourself or not against someone else, but something against God. 
When you do what is right in your own eyes, and it's not just against yourself or against someone else when you break that law. No, ultimately it's against God. God is the definer of what is good. Now, that's just a cultural evaluation. I don't have um, you know, too much more to say about that. But, but here's the second thing that I think is important to notice about this. Is we know from this cycle, because we've experienced, the second thing of servitude, pain. When we choose sin, it brings us pain. We know that. We feel the weight of that. Okay? But here's what we haven't seen. And this is where I think is so beautiful as we finish out Judges. Is sin does not just bring you pain. It blinds you to the fact that it is the one bringing the pain. You understand? Like, growing up with methodic parents, I'm telling you, I knew the smell of glass the night before would mean the next day my dad was going to be a prick. I knew it. Because I knew he had his hit that night, and the next day he, he was going to be upset. And you know what he's going to do the next night? He, he's going to do it again. Because to him, in a drug addict's mind, in any addict's mind, the very thing that is killing them, they think is bringing them life. And so they want more. And so they want more and more and more. And sin blinds you. It blinds you. The very thing that is killing you, you think you need more of. This is insanity. So this is what, now now listen, don't just hear it on the the addiction spectrum. That's an extreme, right? No, no, this works um, on on small passive ways too. The idea that I just don't feel like I'm close to God. I I don't read my Bible. I just feel like I'm so far from God, right? Well, and, and we miss this, like because of your la- uh, laziness and your, your, your apathy towards the word, you feel far from God. So you don't read your Bible because you feel far from God and you feel far from God because you don't read your Bible. It's blinded you. Like th- this, is, this is what he's doing. He, the, the, like the enemy's coming in and, and putting these blockades there. And this is what's happened to the people of Israel, that they're doing what is right in their own eyes and they honestly believe it's right. Unfortunately, it's wrong and it's killing them. So with that said, um, the story of Samson. So it's all bad. They're they're being subjugated by the Philistines. And here's how uh, the story begins. Before Samson is born, an angel appears to this woman, uh, Samson's future mom, Samson's mom. Um, We don't know her name. The Bible doesn't give it. But what we're told is the angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a son. You're in a lot of trouble right now, but he will. And I quote, um, just so we're here, I I want this The way he says it is very important in verse five, at the end of verse five, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the angel comes and says, the the baby boy that you are going to have will begin to save you from the hand of the Philistines. So so here's a couple things. I got three things for you. And it comes from number six. It's called a Nazarene, um, basically oath or vow. Um, It it basically says, you're gonna devote this boy to God. And by doing this, there's three things that he cannot do. One, he can never cut his hair. That's legit. Me and Candace tried to do that with Corbin, but... He was called a girl a lot, so we cut him. Um, the second thing is, he cannot drink wine. He's got to stay away from the sin juice, okay? And the third thing is, he can't touch anything dead, okay? So he can't touch anything dead. And here's this kind of Nazarene vow. He, he, he's, uh, the, the mom makes this vow for him. You, you can't do it. So the angel goes away, comes back and visits the dad and says, hey, not only that, but make sure the mom doesn't do any of those things as well. I don't want her drinking anything. I don't want her touching anything dead. Um, you know, the hair thing, I have no idea. But she, I want her to commit to these same laws until he's eventually born. Now, this is a big deal. This is how um, uh, the, the passage ends. 
uh, verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in uh, Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Ethtol. So here's why this is a big deal. Because this starts, um, what we know of the book of Judges is we've seen it's been getting worse and worse and worse. And if you are an original reader of the book of Judges, you're hearing this, this angel visiting a man and there's only one other person before him that's in your mind. There's a guy named Abraham who had no chance of having kids and an angel visited him. And because of that, this kid Isaac was born and it's through Isaac that all of these people are born. So, so an angel visiting you to tell you what your son is going to do is a big deal to the original Raiders. Samson is a game changer. He is coming on the scene and he's going to fix it. He's the last judge. Finally, it's been getting bad and bad, but, but, but here we go. Finally, somebody got stepping in that Samson's going to do work. And so now we read the story of Samson. That was all of chapter 13. So one chapter down. Congratulations. Verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that uh, you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Stop. Okay. Now they're echoing. Be a good reader here. Be a good reader here. Samson is echoing the beginning of our, our chapter in, 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 ver, in chapter 13 and the end of the book. I see her. I know what I like. Okay? And so this is how the story plays out. Samson is uh, historically, according to Josephus, kind of walks the borders between the Philistines and the Israelites. And he sees, he's looking in a Philistine, the, the Philistine land. He says, I, I see that girl. I like her. Dad, I want her. Uh, get her for me. Okay? And, and he goes, son, he's like, isn't there like one of your relatives, right? They're Southern Israelites. Um, okay? So like, hey, isn't, there, isn't there like you could, you could do that or whatever? And, and he's like, no, I want her. She's right in my own eyes. Okay? And then it continues on. In verse four, his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at the time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Verse five, then Samson went down with his father and mother in Timnah and they came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold, a young lion came towards him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. He did not tell his father or his mother what he had done that he went down and talked with the woman Again, echoing uh, verse three, uh, and she was right in Samson's eye. So he's going down. I like her. I want to go get her. So they're on their way. A lion pops out. This is one of those stories. And Samson tears this lion, which I, I love about this is here's what it says. Um, and behold, he, he tears the lion as one would tear a goat, right? And sitting there going like, you guys tear goats often? Or like, you know, like someone tears a goat in half. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, totally, I get that, okay? So, so he tears this lion up, like, that, that was weird, and then he goes on his way, okay? End of the story. That's it, okay? So now he goes. So, uh, so let me just, maybe I'll, I'll paraphrase this because it's a little, you know, fa- faster. So, so he, with the, we're not done with the lion. He, um, he, goes home, he goes and sees her, then he ends up going back home. He's like, okay, I'm going to marry this girl. So he wants to go there, and they, they got a seven-day kind of before the wedding is supposed to take place, a seven-day feast that's to go on. And so he goes back to see her, and on his way back, it's been you know, a week or so, he sees the lion. He's like, oh, yeah, I killed that lion. And inside that lion is this like beehive that's rested inside the stomach. So Samson, weird, takes his hand, 
goes inside the belly of the lion and scoops out honey. Now, we got all kinds of issues with this, okay? One, he's touching dead things. He's breaking his, his Nazarene vow. Um, but two, it's a dead lion, right? And in his stomach. And there are bees. But he don't care. He sticks his hand like a honey badger, and he just grabs it, and he, like, walks by. He's like, I got some honey. He's like, anybody want any honey, you know? Um, so he gets there, and he, and he sees them. And so here's what he does. Um, they're preparing for this feast. They're about, you know, eight days out, seven days out. And um, now all the Philistine, the bride, the future bride, all her family's coming down. She's invited her family. Come feast with us for this week. And at the end of the week, we're going to get married. Well, 30 companions, 30 men show up. And he sees these 30 men as he's eating his honey. He goes, hey, check it out. I got a little riddle for you. He tries to beat his chest, so, show how awesome he is. I got a little riddle for you, okay? And here's the riddle that he throws out. He says this. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Okay, if you're tracking out of the eater, the lion came something to eat, honey, out of the strong, the lion came something sweet, right? The the honey. So he he says, hey, can you solve this riddle? And if you can, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing. And if not, then you got to give me 30 pieces of clothing. Now, how are they supposed to know this? There's this crazy dude with seven dreadlocks on his hair, having his hand is sticky from honey. And he's saying this crazy riddle. And they're like, yeah, we'll take you up on that. Okay. So they have no idea. And and here's how the story goes in verse 15 of chapter 14. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle before my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother Shall I tell you? Verse 17. And she wept before the men of the city, and they said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. And they're about to give the answer, but she weeps over him. So she goes, tell me, please. And she's fearful, right? Rightfully so. They're going to burn her her father's house and her. Says, if you don't tell us this riddle that Samson has, then we're going to kill you and your family. And so she goes to Samson and says, please tell me, please tell me. And he gives in and he tells, okay? And so the, the, the 30 dudes come up and they go, all right. It's the seventh day, right before the sun goes down. We got an answer for you. And this is what they say. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson goes, oh, heck no. You only know this because my wife told you. Okay, you know what? You want to cheat? I'm going to cheat. So the dude, in a fit of anger, goes to the next town, the next Philistine town, goes to their friends and family relatives, and just kills 30 of them. Just Marks them out, takes the clothes off their back, and just throws them. Here's your blouses, okay? And it's like, you get the blood off there real quick, okay? And then the story's over again, right? And you're going, what was that, Samson? Like, he's just mad, and he just killed these dudes, okay? End of chapter 14, okay? Let's keep going. I promise there's a point to this story. Um, now, after some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Apparently, he didn't tear this one up. With a young goat. And he said, I will go to my wife in the chamber. Okay, so now it's been a couple weeks. He was mad that he was lied to. He went back home for a little bit. He's like, all right, fine. I'll bring a young goat, maybe as a peace offering. I'm going to go talk to my wife. What he doesn't know and what we saw in verse 20, I didn't read, but I'm going to go back in verse 20 of chapter 14. Chapter 14 ends with this line. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. So Samson goes and kills these 30 guys, gives them the clothes and goes away. The father's like, this is awkward. Hey, 
you know, Fred, you, you want her? And you're like, yeah, okay. So then they get married. His, his best man, we don't know if his best friend or whatever, then they get married. Well, Samson doesn't know that. He comes back with the young goat expecting to see his wife again, and the father stops him. This is what happens. Um, uh, give her, but, but her father would not allow him to go in, verse 2, and her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Please take her instead. So the father says, listen, I thought you hated our people. I didn't think you were coming back. I gave her to your best man. Um, do you want her sister, right? And Samson, apparently the sister wasn't hotter than she was because Samson's super pissed at this moment. And he says, this time I shall be innocent regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Then he's so mad. I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible. He takes 300 foxes. He ties their tails together, pair by pair. So 150 pairs of foxes. And he puts a torch on their tail and lets them loose in the grain field, right? And he just burns the place to the ground. And Samson's like, now what? Okay? Now, the Philistines... I don't, this is crazy, but they didn't like that too much. And unfortunately, animals are really like getting done over in this, this story, okay? So Samson is not a fan of animals at all. So, so, here, so what we, we, we see is these foxes. Now the Philistines, not happy, verse 9 says this, the Philistines come up, they're going to come back right after him. And they encamp in Judah and, and made a raid at Leah, Lehi, I'm not sure how that, that word is pronounced. Verse 10, and the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, just stop. So the Philistines rise up and they go, hey, we're here. We're here. And they come to the people of God. We want Samson. He just burned down our grain fields. Give us to him. So the people of Judah, the Israelites, the people of God say, just hold on. We'll go get him. So they take 3,000 men to go get him. Okay. So they go to meet him at this rock, and this is what they say to him. This is a big, big, important part. Um, Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Let me read this again. Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? John, can you put the cycle up for me again, please? We have to be good readers. So what we've noticed every single time in this cycle is that when the people of God choose to sin, God brings pain, man. He says, you, you want your sin, you can have your sin, and you're going to live in that sin. You're going to feel the weight of that sin. You're going to feel the pain of that sin. And every single time in the cycle, the people of God pray. They feel the weight of their sin, and they cry out to God. But go back to chapters 13, 14, and now 15. Not one time after they've done evil in the sight of the Lord and God gave them into the hand of the Philistines, did they stop and go, God, save us? No, 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 no. They're cool with where they're at. No, no, we, we know what sin has brought us. We have it. Samson, what are you doing? Why are you trying to rock the boat, bro? Why are you trying to displace us? We're okay with where we're at. Uh, David Bellman, he's a foremost theologian on, on judges, or at least one of them. Uh, some of us got to spend a, a whole day with him talking about this, and he had a phenomenal quote about this specific part, and I think it's important. I want to read it to you. It says this, in the final cycle, 
Israel does not cry out to Yahweh for help. What do we make of this? Uh, Have the people become so estranged from Yahweh that they do not even think to look to him for help? Have they just accepted their inferiority and resigned to a life of foreign servitude? Whatever the cause may be, this missing element in the cycle should be setting off loud warning bells for the readers. Now, we know this experientially, don't, right? Because you're going to wake up on Wednesday morning, you're going to go to work, and you're going to drive to work, and then you're going to get into the office, and then you're going to do the work, you're going to drive home, you're going to go to bed, and you're going to wake up, and you're going to do it again. Now, let's say one of those days on your way to work, uh, you see a car accident. So if I asked you, what was your drive to work last Thursday like? You probably wouldn't remember the cars that you've seen. But if you saw a car accident or you were in a car accident, you would remember that, right? Because your cycle, what what is taking place, the rhythm in which you live your life is now broken. And as good readers, we've got to look at the Bible and go, wait a minute. I see the cycle that they've been in, but suddenly now it's broken. So the Bible, by giving us the cycle and over, 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 over again, is telling us something when it breaks the cycle. And that is the people of God are okay with becoming Canaanized. The people of God are okay with being under the Philistines. The people of God are okay with their sin. This is bad. Because what we know is is, is Samson was supposed to bring some relief, and, and it's been a mess so far, but now we really see how bad it is. It's not that they're just kind of pushing against sin. No, 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 no. They're okay with it. The story goes on. It says this. And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. This is Samson talking about the Philistines. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from, from the rock. So um, the people, 3,000 men say, hey, listen, Samson, you've rocked the boat too much. You, you know, he, the base, hand over their deliverer. You know, get out. We, we don't want you here. He says, fine, you, bind me up. Just you don't attack me. They say, we're not going to attack you. We're just going to give you to the Philistines. So as they're walking, these 3,000 men are walking Samson up. Uh, here's what happens in verse 14. The Philistines see them from afar off. When he came to Leah, the Philistines came shouting to meet him and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. You guys know what that's like, right? Flax and fire. Um, And his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put it in his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. So the 3,000 of men uh, of the people of God bring Samson and they say, here he is. There's a thousand men of the Philistines say, get him. There he is. He's the one who burned the grain. And they come upon him. The spirit of the Lord comes upon uh, Samson. He says, oh, heck no. He picks up a jawbone of a donkey again, animals. Okay. And he just does work on these, like it man, right? He's just like doing all this work. Okay. So he's just like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Thousand dudes kills him, drops the jawbone, and he like sings this tune, with a thousand men I killed a thousand people, okay? You're like, Samson, what are you doing, okay? Now the 3,000 men who deliver over are going, oh dear God, we're in so much trouble, okay? How are we going to explain a thousand dead Philistines? So the story continues. It says this, as soon as he had finished speaking, he uh, threw away the jawbone of, um, uh, out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath Leah, and he was very thirsty, and he became... And, 
He called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that, it, that is at Leah and the water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of that place is called Enhekor, which is all these Hebrew fancy words are just literally the, that, that type of place that it's describing. And at Leah to this day, and he judged Israel, uh, the Israelites in those days of the Philistines 20 years. So after this fight, he's tired. He just killed a thousand guys. Okay. He's tired and kind of arrogantly goes to God and says, God, you gave me this victory. You're just going to let me die now. Now, if I'm God, I I am going to let him die. But, but he, in his grace, lets him live, opens up the earth, gives him some water. And Samson goes, okay, cool. Thanks. Now to us, that would be a weird day. Okay. But not to Samson. Okay. This is like the norm for him. So let's continue on. So he kills all these men. Chapter 16 is where we're going we're gonna to finish, obviously. This is our last chapter. Um, this is what happens. So now Samson's back on top, right? He's back. He's like, all right, I'm, uh, you know, I'm back on the saddle again. Say, no. Um, okay. Samson now goes to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute. And he went to her. And uh, uh, the Gezites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at, at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he rose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that was in front of Hebron. So now Samson just killed a thousand guys. He's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting the Philistines. He's causing uh, division and dissension between the Israelites and the Philistines. And so now we see again, he, he gave way to a woman before, and he's giving to now this way to another woman. There's a prostitute. He is now in the Philistine capital. In the Philistine capital, he walks into the capital. He sees the prostitute. He sleeps with the prostitute. Well, while he's sleeping with the prostitute, the people of the city are murmuring. Hey, hey, Samson's here. Samson's here. Let's surround the city. So they surround the city and say, okay, we're going to wait till morning. When he gets up in the morning, we're going we're gonna to come on and, and take, take him over, okay? Well, Samson gets up at midnight after he's done doing whatever he's doing. He sees the gate and it's closed and it, the bars are closed. Minimum four to 500 pounds is this gate. He lifts it up, throws it on his back and walks to Hebron with it maybe you don't know this, 40 miles, okay? 40 miles, just like, hey, peace, okay? <laughs> Samson, what are you doing, okay? So he sleeps with a prostitute, again sinning, uses his strength in the wrong way, and now we get to probably Samson's most famous story. Um, it's the story of Delilah. And here's what I want to do with this story. I want to just read it. It's a really long, it's going to be the longest passage that we'll probably read in all of Judges. Um, it's obviously, you know, more so today. It's a big passage. And I want to explain it at the end. But I, I would love for us just to read this passage and just be in it, okay? I want to just read this and be in this and see what has happened to Samson. After this passage, there's only one more passage in regards to his death. So this is the last thing that we see Samson actively choosing to do. This is, this is the, the, the guy that we started with an angel visiting his parents to tell him about. Here's how it begins. Verse 4. Now after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will give you a thousand pieces of silver." So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how we might bind you 
uh, or, and how uh, you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, uh, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse eight, then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried and she bound him with them. Verse nine, now she had been laying in ambush uh, in the inner, inner chamber and she said to him, the Philistines are coming upon you, Samson. She yells this, the Philistines are coming upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please, uh, please tell me now how we might bind you. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have been used, then I, that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah told, uh, took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes on his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Lost my spot and told me lies. Tell me how we might bind you. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks on his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight and with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. And he said to her, and, he, and uh, she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard and her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Verse 17, and he told her his, all his heart, and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she sent and called to the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money that into their hands. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man, um, she, she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Then she began to torment him in his strength and, uh, and left him. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as any other time and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. So you read this story and the reason I think it's unbelievably, realistically poetic is because you read it and it puts reality in your face and you go, Samson, what are you doing? Like, here's this woman. You've had issues with women. Why? Why are you choosing this path again? And she goes, hey, how, how, do you bond, how, do you, how can we bind you? To like, or how can we make you lose your strength? And he says, well, this way. And he lies. And you would think after that point, she comes back and goes, okay, tell me for real. You would think, hey, the last time I told her, she bound me up. But no, he tells her a different way. Oh, no, fresh ropes. But he lied. No, no, Samson, you, you hate me. Okay, fine. Uh, what you, Samson, what are you doing? Why would you tell her another? You know she's going to try it. What are you doing, Samson? No, no, no. If you bind up my, my dreads, if you put, them out, put a pin in it that way. Samson, they're coming upon you. He lied. So, so finally, she's like, you hate me. How could you say you love me? 
And there's this weight, there's this, this pressure, even to the point, I love how it says it, his soul was vexed. There's, there's, there's like a debate going on within him. I know I shouldn't do this, but I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't do this. Within him, there's this war that, that, that to the point of where he feels like he's going to die. Tell me we haven't felt the realistic nature of what's going on in this passage. And so again, Samson, like a fool, like a fool, lays down with giving her all of his heart. As he lays down on her knees, she calls someone in to shave his head. Samson wakes up, thinks he's still legit, but he's not. They put him in bronze shackles, and for the rest of his life, Samson walks in circles as he grounds milk. He literally will walk in circles until he dies. Now, um, there's a couple crazy things about the story of Samson before we read his death, and I think I want to point out two of them here. Um, one, I think there's a bob and weave way of um, the scripture telling us that when you want to do what is right in your own eyes, it's funny, maybe not so much, but crazy at least, how Samson doing what is right in his own eyes left him blindless, literally. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and, and furthermore, like him continuing to do what is right in his own eyes, him being okay with his sin over and over will leave him walking in circles. I mean, I just think this is the, the bob and weave way of the Bible kind of putting in front of you. This is where sin leads to, man. So the, the last passage um, that I want to read, and then we will finish and, and be out of here. Um, uh, verse 22 starts with this, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So now the hair is slowly coming back. And this is what we see. Verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon and their God uh, to rejoice. And they said, our God has given us Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. <clears throat> so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. So here's Samson blind with his eyes gouged out, entertaining them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held, uh, who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests and I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, O Lord, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and sisters, or then his brother and his family came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtiel at the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. That's the end of Samson. Now, um, what I, I think is interesting, as, as I'm going to try to wrap this up, is Samson, um, I don't know what fully to do, but on a big picture, here's what's crazy, that, that it's almost as if God puts in front of us, um, he, God is going to use sin to wake you up from your sin. Like here is Israel, okay with what they are, okay with what they are at the beginning of our passage in chapter 13, and it ends with all out war. I'm gonna kill the Philistines, and now there's this tension again. He wakes you up to sin by using your sin. Now, I think it's important to look back at the story of Samson and go to the beginning because here is somebody who only one person before him in Isaac was promised by the birth of uh, 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 his birth by an angel. 
There's so much expected by this guy. And at the end of the story, the dude just fails us. Like he just lets us down. And if we can be honest for a second, how could he not? I mean, sin is like batting a thousand up to this point. Ain't nobody beaten it. I mean, he, like, look at the other characters in the Bible. Abraham couldn't do it. Gideon couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Samson can't do it. He's not going to succeed here. I mean, we see this in our own lives. Our heroes, how powerful, how awesome, how big sin is. Our heroes succumb to its power. Our celebrities succumb to its prestige. Man, our politics, they, they succumb to its greed. Sin ain't messing around. I, I mean, Romans 5.12 tells us that because of sin, we all die. You think Samson had a chance against sin? The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament yells out, wretched man that I am, it's because of sin, I can't do the things that I want to do. And the things I want to do, I can't do them. Sin ain't losing. You think Samson's beating sin? He's not beating sin. I mean, from the beginning of the story, it's because of sin that Adam and Eve hide in the shadows from their creator. Sin wants all of us, man. It's, it's like Cain, as, as God tells Cain, be careful because it's crouching at your door and it desires to overtake you. It doesn't want a piece. It wants all of you. You think it cares? You think it messes around? And it does it with Steph Curry-like ease, man. Honestly. It, it comes on and says, this is simple. Because here's what I know. James 1, 14 and 17, each one is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And that desire, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, fully grown, brings forth death. All sin has to do is look into you and go, hey, what do you want? Whatever you want, I can give you. And you think it cares that it knows it will not give it to you? Its foreign tongue is lies. And here's how it shows. Here's how it gets all of its W's every single time. At the end of your life, sin will never fail to fail you. It will never fail to fail you. It will promise. I don't got, it will promise. I will pro- and at the end of your life, it goes, wait, wait, wait. Are you serious? Romans 6 says that it looks at us and goes... You don't get it, bro. You're my slave. You thought we were on par with one another. Sin ain't losing. Sin's a beast. This is what makes the story of Jesus crazy. Because Jesus leans into the mic after 40 days of not eating, sitting in the desert. What you got for me? Say, all right, how about some prestige? No, I'm good. How about comfort? No, 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 I'm good. And at the end of it all, 40 days of not eating, Jesus looks at him and goes, check it out. Give me the mic, young buck. Hear me when I say this. Um, The only one we should worship is God and God alone. Be gone. Mic drop. And now for the first time ever, he can't claim Mayweather status. He's not the 72 Dolphins. Dolphins, He's got an L in the bracket, doesn't he? Now sin scurries away like a little dog with with its tail between its legs. And for the first time ever, we go, whoa, whoa, somebody can beat this thing? Because Jesus looked at sin and goes, you know who I am? You think because you beat Adam, you can beat me? You think because you beat Abraham, you can beat me? I created those. I'm not some in-boss in a video game. I made the game. Do you have any idea? You're a gnat. I will step on you. I'm big time. You're a small little fish in a small little pond. You understand? This is what makes Jesus big. Don't get charismatic on me now. <laughs> this is how big he is. This is how powerful he is. This is how awesome he is. And this is why we need him. This is why we need him. Because he steps on the scene and he succeeded where Adam couldn't. He, 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 he. He gives us a perfect example of how to do this. And unfortunately, we too often, like Samson, 
We rely on our own strength. We step in the ring and we try to do it on our own strength. Listen, you ain't beating it. Sin is just too powerful. And yet his power is nothing compared to the power of the cross. And from that day on, sin is trying to figure out a way. Maybe I can get in, but every time we get to the ninth round and we feel like we're, we're out and about, Jesus steps in and goes, I'll take it from here. And he gets out and he flees away like a little coward. This is Jesus, man. The demons flee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. All things are made through him, for him, and to him. He is powerful. He is awesome. He is the greater judge. He will not fail us. But we continue to put our trust in our own efforts. We continue to rely on sin all the while, knowing what he has done because we're doing right in our own eyes. And at the same time, that is evil before the Lord. I want to finish with a quote from a guy named Charles Spurgeon. I tend to quote him from time to time. This is what he says. When the death thirst is at your throat, what do you think you will do without God? To die die in God's presence is simply to let life blossom into something better than life, but to die without God must be horrible. You will not want your companions then. Strong drink will not pacify you then. Music will have no charms for you then. The the, The love of a tender and gentle wife can yield you, but sorry comfort then. You may lay your money bags at your side, but they will not calm your palpitating heart then. You will hear the booming of the waves of the great sea of eternity. You will feel your feet slip into the dreadful quicksand. You will clutch about for help, but there will be none. Instead, invisible hands shall begin to pull you down and down through the dark sea, and you will descend to those darker depths which, where dread and despair will be your everlasting heritage. But there is hope yet. Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Turn your eyes to Christ, poor sinner. As he hangs there suffering in man's place, taking human guilt on himself and being punished for it, is, for it as though it were his own, rest in Jesus, you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this story. More than just another case of someone succumbing to sin, we get to see in four detailed graphic decisions a man choosing over and over to do what is right in his own eyes, having his own agenda, and trying to win the battle on his own. Jesus, we see the weight of sin, a man losing his very life, his his literal eyes. He can't see and is blind because of sin. We see how powerful it is, and yet at the same time, all that weight, all that power. You promise us that there is but a clock ticking. There's a lake of fire that is waiting because of the cross. It will be gone one day. But may we not rely on our own strength and lean into our own power, into our own efforts, into our own talents to try to get this thing done. We're just not strong enough. But man, you, you, you are. We've got to trust in you. We've got to rely on you. We need you, and our hearts want to flee from that idea. We want to try to do it on our own sometimes, so help us, Holy Spirit. Remind us of the things in which Jesus spoke. Continue to to, to bring into remembrance those things. We desperately need you, Christ. Sin is suffocating us at times. We cry to help for you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.